0: You may be seated. Good morning. I'm sure there's a range. I wasn't going to say this, by the way, but you know me. I'm sure there's a range of emotions this morning. From the Braves losing, I was pulling for them. By Alabama just not showing up, I was pulling for them. But the good news is the Dodgers lost, so it's no telling who's going to win in the World Series. But uh, glad to be here. Glad you guys are here. I'm glad uh, Rick and Joanne is here. So amen to that. Uh, So happy that uh, Pat Park has been gone from the congregation for a while. He's back. And glad you're here, Pat. We missed you while you were gone. Enjoyed your pictures also. And I want to say this before I get started. Two weeks ago, the pastors and their wives, we went to the Noah, Noah's Ark, the Ark, and uh, just really enjoyed it. But before we left, I had said, I would appreciate you guys showing up to hear Alex on Wednesday evening. And when I saw the pictures here, I was blown away. And I just want to say, thank you. That's what a body does. That meant. So much to us. So thank you for that. Thank you for giving us the opportunity to go to the ark. It, it really blessed us. It talked about crisis. The thing was crisis in the church. And it was very powerful. And we, we need to be careful. And we need to be Watchmen. Not only the pastors and the elders, but everybody in the body of Christ at Calvary Restore. We need to be watchmen on the wall to make sure nothing seeps in that does not pertain to the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. But I just wanted to say thank you for that. But we're in the sixth chapter of Joshua. Pastor Jonathan did a great job last Sunday. Not surprised. And we're going to pick up at verse 20 of chapter 6. Lord, bless your word. So the people shouted when the priests blew the trumpets, and it happened when the people heard the sound of the trumpet, and the people shouted with a great shout that the wall fell down flat. Then the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they took the city, and they utterly destroyed all that was in the city. We have to understand that a battle was still needed to be fought after the wall, had come down. And it's so amazing that when we walk with the Lord, the Lord is saying, in this area, there was not one casualty. They went in and defeated everyone there and didn't lose a single man. He says, uh, both man and woman, young and old, ox and sheep and donkey with the edge of the sword. And I want us to see the brevity of the description of the battle that just happened in two verses. It tells it was over quickly. Chapter 6 really is all about instructions, as Pastor Jonathan taught about. Really, chapter 6 is relative also to obedience. God is saying, this is what I want you to do. I don't care how strange it may sound. Do it my way, and you will have good success. And many times, you know, we hear outside voices, well-meaning voices saying, that's not too logical. But God is saying to all of us this morning, every believer, listen to me, do it my way. And you'll see things that you never seen, you've never thought was achievable or attainable logically come to fruition if we only do things the way our father has told us to do them. God has said, I have given you Jericho. So the battle he's telling us is no problem. The victory is no problem. It's a done deal. God's problem, if God could have a problem, is wanting us to listen to what he's saying, his instructions for us to do, simply that. So he says, when this whole thing goes down. Nothing in it belongs to you. You didn't do anything. You walked around the city one time a day. And then that seventh day, you walked around seven times and you shouted and the whole walls came tumbling down. And once again, the brevity of the description, he's contrasting that his concern, God's concern is following my instructions, following my word, and then there will always be a defeat if you do that to your enemies. Every one of us at one point or another in our lives will face a Jericho. And of course, every one of us will have that final Jericho if the Lord tarries, when the last enemy comes in our presence If you're a child of God, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you don't have to worry about the outcome. You will have victory there also. And that's what he's wanting us to know, that God is a faithful God. So this is all about this morning, instructions and obedience to those instructions. He says in verse 22, but Joshua has said to the two men who had spied out the country, go into the harlot's house. That's not politically correct these days. And from there, bring out the woman and all that she has as you swore to her. And the young men who had been spies went in and brought out Rahab, her father, notice who comes out of the house, her mother, her brothers, and all that she had. Rahab was a testimony. She had been testifying to the goodness of God. So they brought out all her relatives and left them outside the camp of Israel. I'm sure. They did this for a cleansing ceremony before they could enter into the camp of Israel. And then it says, but they burned the city and all that was in it with fire. Only the silver and gold and the vessels of bronze and iron they put into the treasury of the house of the Lord. And Joshua spared Rahab the harlot, her father's household, and all that she has. So she dwells in Israel to this day, as Joshua was writing this, because she hid the messengers whom Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. Rahab did not talk a good game. She walked it. She did exactly what she had said. That's why the New Testament speaks three times about her faith. It says in James chapter two, Likewise, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works? when she received the messengers and sent them out another way. For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. I will, If I'm a believer in Jesus Christ, if I am who I say I am, I will walk that out. I will prove my faith. And that's what Rahab does here. Then Joshua charged them, At that time saying, cursed be the man before the Lord who rises up and builds this city, Jericho. He shall lay his foundation with his firstborn, and with his youngest, he shall set up its gate. The fulfillment of this prophecy is given to us in 1 Kings. It begins to speak about Ahab and his wickedness and his vileness. And in chapter 16, verse 34, it says, in his days, Heliel of Bethel built Jericho he laid his foundation with Abiram, his firstborn. That should have been enough to say, hey, stop building the city, but he doesn't do that. And with his youngest son, Sigub, he set up its gates according to the word of the Lord, which he had spoken through Joshua, the son of Nun. So 500 years later, this prophecy comes to pass. There was a modern Jericho in Jesus's day. Uh, Matter of fact, Herod and Pilate had a a palace there, and the Levites tend to have stayed there, but the ancient city of Jericho was never built again. And so it just shows the power of the prophecy that God spoke through Joshua. None of his words will fall to the ground. So the Lord was with Joshua, and his fame spread throughout the country, And the reason for Joshua's great success, and we need to know this if we want to have great success, is he was simply obedient to the instructions of God. And when we are are obedient to God's word, we will always, always have success. Chapter 7, the first word of verse 1 is but. And it means forget about everything else you've just heard that's happened. Something is about to go on. Everything is going well with the children of Israel. Jericho has been conquered, but that word but lets us know that everything is not exactly how it looks like. And you know, as I was thinking about this text, I said, I wish that everything that I learned Every lesson that I ever learned was from 100% uninterrupted victory. I would always learn from my victories, but I would be very hard to live with if, if that was so. And you, it would be very hard to live with you guys if that was so. God knows that. If everything we learned was from one Jericho to another Jericho, a victory after a victory... But a lot of what we learn, and we don't deliberately want this to be so, but it is so, much of what we learn in this Christian life is because there's a certain situation that we don't handle as we ought to. And we experience defeat in those areas. And we need to know how to have victory as we're walking with the Lord. The ideal is that we would never know defeat. As believers, you know, we have the power. We have everything we need by the Holy Spirit residing in us to never fail, to never sin even once. But you know, the Bible is very clear that none of us avails ourselves of those resources perfectly all of the time. So we need to know how, to handle failure and defeat in the course of our Christian sojourn down here. As my sister always says, experience is the best teacher, but it doesn't have to be your experience. All we have to do is learn by the failures from other people or in the scriptures also. And this is why God in his loving kindness and in his mercy, he brings this man Achan before us this morning, so we can learn his mistakes and also how to avoid those mistakes in our walk with Jesus. Once again, the children of Israel are going to experience a terrible defeat in chapter seven. It's the only military defeat in the campaign in Canaan while Joshua is leading the children of Israel. 36 men will die because of the sin of Achan here. Verse 1 tells us, but the children of Israel committed a trespass regarding the accursed things. So we know there's a trespass here. And as we go through the Old Testament, I'm sure you've seen before different meanings of different words, iniquity first. It has its root in being twisted or being bent. And quite often, it refers to the problem of the sinful nature. You know, you don't have to teach a child to lie. You don't have to teach a child to be selfish. And it's because of the iniquity that we have inherited from Adam. That's at birth. But trespass or transgression has a different sense to it. It almost is like God draws a line and he says, do not step over this line, and we do it anyway. We deliberately, willfully choose to sin against the commandments of the Lord. And then we know sin in a nutshell is missing the mark. We tend to do that here and now. But it also means to be weary To be worn out because sin always makes a mess in everyone's lives. So it has a way of wearing you down. The children of Israel will suffer defeat because of Achan, his deliberately willful choosing to sin and disobey God's word. And his trespass is going to be related to the accursed thing. That word accursed is kiram, it means ban for destruction, because we have to understand everything in Jericho was supposed to be burned with fire, except those things that were devoted to God. Jericho was kind of the first fruits of the Lord. They crossed the Jordan River, they go into the first battle, and everything that will go into the treasury of the Lord belongs to the Lord But everything after the battle, this first battle, the children of Israel could keep for themselves. Oh, if Achan would have just waited a little longer. So it says, for Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabni, the son of Zerah of the tribe of Judah. I believe God knows where this man lives. It says, took of the accursed thing. So the anger of the Lord blazed against the children of Israel. And what God is wanting us to see is nobody, nobody sins to themselves. Nobody lives in rebellion, and it's just relative to their own life. It affects your family, it affects your friends, and it affects other people. Now, Joshua sent men from Jericho. Jericho, in the Hebrew, is called the fragrant place. So he sends men from Jericho to Ai. We know Ai means a heap of ruins, which is beside Beth-Avon. Beth-Avon means house of vanity on the east side of Bethel. Bethel, we know, means house of God. So somewhere between the house of vanity, that's where we live, and the house of God, that's where we're headed to, we need to be aware of heaps of ruins that will be for our detriment if we don't turn and go the other way. And they returned to Joshua and said to him, do not let all the people go up, but let about two or 3,000 men go up and attack Ai. Do not weary all the people there, for the people of Ai are few. Now they mess around and make a couple of huge mistakes here that are instructive to every believer. They're going to experience a terrible uh, defeat here in just a couple of verses. Why the single great reason that they are defeated is because of Achan's sin the other two things, if they would have did them, I believe God would have exposed Achan's sin and there would have been no casualties there. So two things that they did, one, they were overconfidence. And the second thing that goes hand in glove would being overconfidence because when you're overconfidence, you tend not to pray. I've got this. I know what I'm doing. I don't have to seek the Lord in prayer. Concerning overconfidence, here they are just check them out. They get their first victory in Jericho. And now they know all about how to conquer their enemy. All of a sudden, they become experts. What to do, how many to bring, how few to not bring, all of those things just because they've conquered one little city. And you know what? I don't scorn those guys. And the reason I don't scorn them I have to scorn myself. The attitude I have that when I did something, I tend to think I know how to do it, to replicate it. As Pastor Jonathan was saying last Sunday, I don't have to get in touch with the Lord anymore. I've had victory, so no need to get in touch with you anymore. And God is going to say, no, you need me, and you need to get instructions from me. We say I can handle this myself. I can make my own decisions for victory. And this is present once again in all of us to some degree or another. And then we also take notice of a lack of prayer in this decision. And once again, I believe with all of my heart, though they were confident going up to AI, and although they didn't pray, once again, I want us to understand that was not the main reason For their defeat. But once again, if they would have prayed first, I'm sure God would have revealed the problem to them. I like the saying that prayer is an expression of our dependence on God. They tell me there's a group of people you never have to exhort to pray or to be consistent in prayer in their lives. And that person is the person who is conscious of how completely dependent they are on God for everything. Those people will always be praying. But the person, once again, who is self-confident says, I don't need to check in with God. I know how to make these decisions in my life. I've walked with God long enough, and it sets that person up failure. God wants to navigate our lives. And when we hang out with God, he pours wisdom into us. And that wisdom shows us and teaches us which way to go, how to have success. And that's what we need. So they give Joshua counsel here. And Joshua takes the high bar because they said, only take two or 3,000 up. Joshua said, okay, we'll send 3,000 up. So about 3,000 men went up there from the people, but they fled before the men of Ai. And the men of Ai struck down about 36 men, for they chased them from before the gates gate as far as Shebarim and struck them down on the descent. Therefore, the hearts of the people melted and became like water. Has that ever happened to you guys before? I'm ashamed to say it's happened to me. I thought I had did everything right because of my know-how, and I didn't check in with God. And so when it went down, it went down badly, and my heart melted, and I quickly understood I don't know it all, and I should have checked in with my Savior Understand, they are in the middle of their enemy in this territory, enemies all around them, enemies that are mad because they have defeated the city of Jericho. Then Joshua tore his clothes, a sign of mourning, and fell to the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord until evening, all day long, he and the elders of Israel, and they put dust on their heads, proving their humility. By the way, when is the last time we've done that because of the defeat of our sin? When is the last time we fell down and said, Lord, I need you. I'm tired of this stronghold. I'm tired of this this bondage. I'm tired of trying to do it my way. That takes humility. And that's what Joshua and his elders are doing here. And Joshua said, alas, Lord God, why have you brought this people over the Jordan at all to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites, to destroy us, oh that we had been content and dwell on the other side of the Jordan. It's good to be content in some things, but it's never good to be content in a defeat. That's never good. You might think Joshua's prayer is out of line, but it's not out of line. Joshua's complaint is different from Israel complaining in the wilderness for those 40 years. Joshua's complaint is not to God, not about God, it's to God. And Joshua's words are words of despair, and they're not words of unbelief. Anytime, and listen to this, anytime we experience defeat like this in our lives, it's never, it's never God's fault. If we are in bondage, if we are in some kind of stronghold, we should be thinking there is something wrong with this picture, and this should prompt us to seek the Lord, to find out why I continue to suffer defeat in this area. We should never get used to a life of defeat. I'll give you an example. We should never get used to a life of defeat like the Atlanta Falcons. <laughs> we should understand that if we're sports people. Lose, 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 No. That should not be the signpost of a Christian. I never know victory. You begin to say, I will never know victory in this life. This is my lot in life. I will always be defeated in this area. Defeating our lives as believers should always alarm us. It should always send us to God in prayer saying, What in the world is happening in this situation that I do not see, Lord? Give me your wisdom for what victory looks like here, Lord, and he will meet us where we're at. Now, I'll give credit to the children of Israel, to Joshua and the elders, because they are no doubt surprised about this defeat, and they will not accept this defeat. And we have to understand that Joshua does not know the reason yet for this defeat. And so his only conclusion is that God has failed us. And he's saying, God, if you were going to fail us, couldn't you have done it on the other side of a swollen Jordan River while our enemies were not surrounding us? But always, once again, when we think that God has failed us, It is never him that fails us. There's something about our circumstance that needs to change. And if we go to him in prayer, he will give us instructions or how to come out on the victor's side because we should be living victorious lives lives here. So he says in verse 8, O Lord, what shall I say when Israel turns its back before its enemies? For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear it and surround us and cut off our name from the earth, then what will you do for your great name? His consternation involves the peril of Israel and the honor of God, and that's why he begins to listen. he says israel foes will, will, will foes will cut off our name, and Lord. What's going to happen to your great name? You just rolled away the reproach from Israel. And now, Lord, if this defeat, if we are going to continue to be defeated, it's going to give you a black eye also. So basically, he said, hey, Lord, this is not good. You need to do something here. But remember when David sinned against God with Bathsheba and put Uriah to death. God sends the prophet Nathan to comfort, confront David, and then finally David repents, and God being gracious, he forgives David, but he also says in 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 14, however, David, just because you did this, however, because by this deed you have given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. Paul tells the church in Corinth and us in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 2, You are our epistles, written in our hearts, known and read by all men. If we perish, Lord, it's going to give you a black eye. And that's the same way with us. It matters how we live, at home, at our jobs, at the university, at school, anywhere we go, It matters how we live. We are called to be salt and light. And if people know that we are a believer in Jesus Christ, they will be watching what we do. So the Lord said to Joshua, get up. I'm going to have to ask Joshua when I get there, how did he say it? I really don't think he said it with a lot of compassion. I know he's a God of love, but he's also a firm God. And notice God lets them lie in the dust all day long before he tells them to get up. It comes a time when we repent, when we confess, when we pray, and then it's time to get up and find out, okay, Lord, how do I win this victory? Get up. Why do you lie thus on your face? Let's address the problem that led to this defeat. He says, Israel has sinned. Notice what he says. And they have also transgressed my covenant, which I commanded them. I thought Achan sin, For they have even taken some of the accursed things and have both stolen and deceived. And they have also put it among their own stuff. Therefore, the children of Israel could not stand before their enemies, but turn their backs before their enemies enemies. Joshua says, okay, Lord, now I know. What do you want me to do? And here comes the consequence of Achan's sin because they have become doomed to destruction. Not only the things that Achan has stolen that he cherished and coveted so much is doomed for destruction because it belongs to the Lord, because he took it. The whole camp is doomed for destruction. That's how sin festers in our lives. Neither will I be with you anymore. What if he had stopped right there? But we know God is a God of grace. And then he says, unless, this is what you have to do. You destroy the curse from among you. The Lord warns them that there's there's sin in the camp. And unless this is taken care of, I'm going to remove my presence for good in your midst, and you will be wiped out. The whole nation is in peril. Their history hangs in the balance at this time. Now, we know that God of the Old Testament, his reputation, oh, he's a bad God. He's an unloving God. He's an unkind God. That's his reputation. But he's not. He's the same today, yesterday, and forever. And so I like what Pastor Jonathan used, the word he used last Sunday. So it could be abrasive to us. Don't let it be because he's drawing in his wrath. My Bible tells me there's mercy. So the question, why would one man's sin be allowed to affect? the entire nation. This description of Aiken's offense is based on the healthy principle of solidarity. As I was taking one of my classes, and it really intrigued me about solidarity and the culture in the Middle East, we in the West, especially in America, we like to be individuals. My Facebook page, my Instagram page. We like to be unique. We like to be different than everybody from everybody else. But in God's economy, in the congregation, in the wilderness, in the fellowship of the body of Christ, we're one. We don't, and in the Middle East and in the congregation of the children of Israel, you never want it to stand out. And if you stood out, you would certainly hurry up because we were one. And that's what the Lord is saying here. Even though Achan is the offender, I see the whole. The body of Christ is a living organism. We see that from beginning to end. And when one is out of step. Believe it or not, it affects the entire whole. And that's what God is saying here. In the Old Testament and the New Covenant, corporate guilt and individual responsibility, they go hand in hand. I'll give you an example. When you have a believer who swears, who uses foul language and lies, that just doesn't affect their reputation, right? it affects every believer's reputation, every believer in the entire world because people feel absolutely free and they're entitled to, to come to their own conclusion about every single Christian on the basis of what they see from one individual Christian. It matters and they do that. So anyone who sins, especially deliberate sin like Achan has done, what it does is reflect on all of us. And so this is a lesson that's being made that God has brought before us. And it's a sober lesson for every believer. All our reputation are tarnished by sin. This is a heavy thing, but it's a truthful thing. And this is why the whole nation was affected, not only affected, but infected by the sin of Achan. So we move forward together in a real sense in God's economy. Matter of fact, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 6, Paul tells us, your glorying is not good. Do you not know a little leaven? Leavens the whole lump. So God tells Joshua in verse 13, get up, sanctify the people and say, sanctify yourselves for tomorrow. He's saying this defeat is caused by impurity. And we need to be holy. Because thus says the Lord God of Israel, there is an accursed thing in your midst. O oh, Israel, I could hear the pathos of, of him saying this. You cannot stand before your enemies until you take away the accursed thing from among you. In the morning, this is what I want you to do, Joshua, therefore you shall be brought according to your tribes. And it shall be that the tribe which the Lord takes shall come according to families. And the family which the Lord takes shall come by household. And the household which the Lord takes shall come man by man. God probably, uh, Joshua is probably using the Urim and the Thuman, the lights and perfections. They say those two dice or two rocks, a black stone or, or, or a white stone, you would ask the question, roll the stones out, whichever one it was, or some say he may have been using lots. So this was a slow process. This was a methodical process, and God is giving Achan time to repent. Then it shall be that he who is taken with the accursed thing shall be burned with fire, he and all that he has, because he has transgressed. The covenant of the Lord. And because he has done a disgraceful thing in Israel, that word disgraceful, he has done folly or he has done wickedness. Achan commits a sin against God, but he really commits a capital crime in a sense because those 36 men were killed because of him. So Joshua rose early in the morning. I bet he did. I bet there was only one person in the whole camp that got less sleep than Joshua. Who would that be? (laughs) Yeah. Two people could not sleep at all. He's in trouble. And brought Israel by their tribes. And the tribe of Judah was taken. Twelve tribes. One of these tribes will get a black eye. And notice where the black eye lands, to the tribe of Judah, our Savior tribe, because he can handle it. He brings out two to three million people, these 12 tribes, and the tribe of Judah is taken. He brought the clan of Judah, and he took the family of the Zarahites, And he brought the family of the Zarhites man by man, and Zabdi was taken. Then he brought his household man by man, and Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabni, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, was taken. I wouldn't have wanted to be in Achan's shoes in all of this when it's going down. Think about the tension and the drama that's being played out as he is being whittled down. And I'm sure. Achan may have said, okay, they took our tribe first. That's one out of 12, so maybe I should say something. And then next, the family is taken, and you would think he would run and repent right then and there. But he doesn't do that. Because God is making a point, I know where the guilty party resides. He tells us in Hebrews chapter four, verse 13, and there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account, Victor. We must give account. I never want to stand in front of a God who knows me that well, apart from the blood of Jesus Christ and the forgiveness That is found in him. That's where we need to be. Understand God knows what we've forgotten about ourselves. We don't want to face this God apart from the Savior he has sent us. And I'm thankful this morning that I will never face this holy, righteous God, independent of his son and the blood that was shared for my sin. This is sobering. Now Joshua said to Achan, my son, I beg you. This is not fun for Joshua. I think of Galatians chapter 6 verse 1 is our verse for this church, Calvary Restore. And it says, brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, that word if, remember I said it's three times different meanings, and that word if is, and he probably will be. If a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, that's who I want to come to me. Not I told you this, you should have done this, you should have done that. Someone who comes and mends that broken bone and sets it. It's a a mending term. Those nets, when they would fish, they would tear open and they would mend them back together. That's who the Holy Spirit says should go to you who are spiritual. Restore such a one in the spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Joshua has a soft heart here, even though he's being firm. That's the way it should be. Now, you scholars can correct me after service, but I believe we'll see Achan in heaven. No doubt about it, he makes a grievous mistake here. He trespasses, and we don't minimize his trespass. But in all of that, salvation is still waiting on him. I don't know his eternal state, but I believe we will see him in heaven. Joshua says, my son, I beg you, give glory to the Lord God of Israel. What does he mean by give glory? This is what he means. Because he says, give glory to the Lord God of Israel. And then he says, and make confession. The glory is God hasn't did wrong. God hasn't made any mistake. God is holy, God is merciful, God is righteous, and God is being gracious by even calling you out. So Joshua says, give him glory and make confession. And if Achan would have said, I'm not going to do it, that would have been no glory. Glory to God is saying, God, you are right, I blew it. You're right, I'm wrong any time, any time. Yeah, but if this would have happened, yeah, if that would have happened, yeah, if uh, the guy would have kicked the 50-yard field goal, Alabama would have won. Yeah, I don't want to hear any of that. He missed it. God, you're right, and I'm wrong. That's what he's saying here. And when we do that, we give him his glory. That's what he saying. He says, and make confession to him. And how wonderful for us that John says under the new covenant, If we do what? If we confess our sin, we don't have to worry about being stoned or being burned to death. If we confess our sins and he doesn't say to us to say, I'm sorry, that's not giving God glory. When I sin, whether it's to Lydia, my children, to any one of you, and if I come to you and say, hey, I'm sorry, you can put in your heart, he doesn't mean it because he didn't confess. I've got to come and say, I sinned against you. And then I'm giving glory to God. God is right. He told me, he he has given me the instructions on what to do, and I didn't do it. God's right, and I'm wrong. So that's what he says here. Confess our sins. Hummel Say the same thing that God says about that sin. And then it says he is faithful, and we don't have to worry about him if he's going to do it or not. He is faithful, and the reason that he is faithful is because the next word says he is just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Hallelujah. I'm so glad of his grace and his mercy and his loving kindness because Jesus carried all of our sin. On the cross. No one has ever loved us the way Jesus Christ loves us, the way the Godhead loves us. Yeah, and you know, we can stumble at that. And I think sometimes when we've sinned, the sinner struggles with the grace of God, wanting to receive it, but finding it hard to believe. And and finding it hard to believe, especially when we've sinned against light. It's one thing to be an unbeliever in sin. you You know, you're just doing what you do. But to be a believer in Jesus Christ and sin against his light. You'll still forgive me, Lord. If I come and give you glory and say the same thing you'll still forgive me? Yeah, he'll do it. And the other struggle we can have being a believer is when you are the offended party and the person that offended you, a sin against you, they're walking and they're doing well and they're saying, hey, I'm forgiven. And you're saying, what audacity is that? But that's what the Bible speaks of. That's the grace of God. That's what he's saying here. And we give him glory in all of that. Make confession, Joshua says, to him. And tell me now what have you done? Do not hide it from me. Bring it out into the open, Achan. And Achan answered Joshua and said, indeed, not the indeed commercial. I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel, the only God. And this is what I have done. Now, his confession is not a weighty confession because he waits until he is exposed. If he would have confessed earlier, it would have brought Jesus, the Godhead, more glory. But God, being a gracious and a loving God, he has to prod him. He has to continue to prod him, continue to prod him. That's grace. That's grace. Because if he didn't care, he wouldn't have put that urging in his heart. So that's what he does. Notice what it says in verse 21. When I saw. Notice that. Among the spoils, a beautiful Babylonian garment, 200 shekels of silver. He must have sat down and counted them. And a wedge of gold weighing 50 shekels. Notice this. I coveted them. Paul says, paraphrasing, I thought I had kept all of the commandments until it said, thou shalt not covet. And then what did he say? and it slew me. (laughs) You can't get around it. It's a problem here. He says, I coveted them. Notice, after he coveted them and took them, and there they are, hidden in the earth, in the midst of my tent with the silver under it. We have one of the most amazing pictures of the progression of sin in our entire lives here. These are the steps. These are the processes of how We go into sin. Verse 21 says, I saw. We need to protect our eyes. And then it says, I coveted. I took. I hid. That's the progression every time. Whether it's Satan tempting Eve in the Garden of Eden or whether it's David doing what he does with Bathsheba, it's the same process. Here he falls pray to it. This is what Achan does. That's why the Lord warns us about what we put before our eyes and what the condition of our heart is. We should always check that in terms of what we lust for or what we desire for in this world. Because once the battle is lost in the heart, once it's lost in the heart, it's lost in the mind. The heart will always Make a convert of the mind. That's how it works. Once it seizes that heart, you begin to do things and you begin to say things that you thought you would never say because the heart has overridden the mind. And you go deeper and deeper into sin and you run farther and farther away from the Lord. And the Lord begins to shake him. Come back to me. So Joshua sent messengers and they ran to the tent. And there it was hidden in his tent with the silver under it. And they took them from the midst of the tent, brought them to Joshua and to all the children of Israel and laid them out before the Lord. They were always laid out before the Lord. Achan hadn't covered up anything. He was just running out of room. That's all he was doing, running out of room. Then Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan, the son of Zerah, the silver, the garment, the wedge of gold, his sons, his daughters, his oxen, his donkeys, his sheep, his tent, and all that he had. And they brought them to the valley of Achor, the valley of trouble. And Joshua said, why have you troubled us? Why have you troubled us? It matters. Please hear me. It matters how each one of us individually live. It matters. It matters to God. It affects the body of Christ. Not that we will be perfect. I'm not talking about that. But we should be living in a sphere of righteousness, seeking the Lord. Why have you troubled us? The Lord will trouble you this day. So all Israel stoned him with stones, and they burned them. Now, notice it says, and they burned them. I'll go a little farther. With fire. Okay, maybe that was the the gold and the things he he had taken. After, After they had stoned them... And the reason I'm emphasizing stoning them is because some commentator says, no, they just stone Achan and not the family. But if my English is pretty good, I think them means more than one, and it it means who they started out with, and that's Achan and his entire family because most people think that his family had to know that he had put all of these things in his tent. Not one of them said a word. So they were in cahoots with this. Then they raised over him a great heap of stones. Sin is poisonous. Sin is deadly. We prioritize sin. Oh, a little white lie here. That's a bigger lie right there. Uh, I just looked. Maybe I looked twice, but at least I didn't act on that. And, you know, we begin to have these tears of what sin is. But that, we have to remember, that little white lie sent the Messiah, put him on the cross. And we need to see sin victor. I need to see trespasses victor as my Savior sees them. I like what Corson says, and I learned this a long time ago. Sin is not bad because it's forbidden. Sin is forbidden because it's bad. That's it. And we have to put that in our hearts. No matter what's tantalizing and tantalizing, we have to say, I want to live. I want to walk for the glory of God. And I want, want to bring glory to not only to my Savior, but to the congregation also. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. After they had stoned them with stones, then they raised over him a great heap of stones still there to this day. So the Lord turned from the fierceness of his anger. Therefore, the name of that place has been called the Valley of Achor to this day. The lesson for us, you guys, it isn't that when another believer sins against us that we need to take them out and stone them and burn them. We can't do that. This is the new covenant that wouldn't be pleasing to the Lord. We can't do that at all. You might want to do that, but we're under the new covenant. Because we have a better Joshua. And what our Joshua says, take me, stone me in his or her place and let the fire of God's wrath fall on me instead upon them. That's the grace he has extended to every child of God. You know, They named that place the Valley of Achar. Isaiah speaks of it in chapter 60. I like what Hosea says and I'll read that because God will always make beauty out of ashes. That's just what he does. And he says this, Therefore, behold, I will allure her, will bring her into the wilderness and speak comfort to her, I will give her vineyards from there and the Valley of Achor as a door of hope. Right there where all of that troubling went down to. God says, I'm going to give you a door of hope. And no doubt that door of hope is the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And all of us who are true believers in Jesus Christ has experienced this hope, this stupendous hope that the blood of Jesus Christ has shed for our sins. But it matters how we live, you guys. The worship team can come up. Ephesians chapter 4 says this, verses 15 through 16. I love it. But after he's speaking about the unity of the body of Christ, how we should be unified, and we are unified. He says, but speaking the truth in love, may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies. That's all of us. According to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. God loves us. He's proved it. He shed his blood for us. And we need to make sure we're loving one another, praying for one another, encouraging one another so that none of us will stumble like Achan stumbled. Let's pray. Father, you are a holy God. But you're also a merciful God. You are a God of love. And Lord, when we sin, if we say the same thing and confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Lord, may we grow in the grace of that scripture there. But may we also understand, Lord, that it truly matters how we live. And Lord, you have given us everything for life and godliness. May we be sure to watch over the eye gate and the ear gate. And may we be sure to walk closely with you, Father, knowing that we represent you and we don't want to give you a black eye. We don't want to give anybody a reason to blaspheme your holy name because of how our lifestyle is. You've done too much for us. So Father, I pray for every believer here that you would pour your grace upon us, Father. Give us a greater love for you. Give us a greater awareness of your holiness and the great price you paid that we can be your sons and daughters and live holy lives. I ask all of these things through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, to the Father God. Amen. Let's stand and close with a song, please.